0: Hello and welcome to this podcast edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Last week, influential economist David Rosenberg, who presciently warned of the credit bubbles in housing and ensuing recession in 2006, told us we are now seeing the, quote, mother of all credit bubbles on steroids because global debt levels have gone up 300 percent faster than the income to support it. And the indebtedness is happening at the household, business, and government levels. Rosenberg, who recently launched his own macro research and strategy firm, Rosenberg Research and Associates, has been predicting the U.S. is in imminent danger of falling into recession and that the debt albatross is a huge contributing factor. So tell me how bad it's going to be. I mean, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, <laughs> good grief, this could be, especially when I look at the debt levels and the level of interest rates which are so low so the servicing of all of that debt is seems to be kind of manageable it will be not manageable if interest rates go up so tell me what you think how bad the recession's mm-hmm. going to be in the US and the globe uh, you know we everybody's petrified of another financial crisis
1: when you service the debt you got to pay the interest and the principal it's interesting cuz even in Canada Statistics Canada releases a ratio, I don't see this in the States, it's called the, the total financial obligation ratio in the household sector. And it's interesting that even with ultra low interest rates in Canada, the household obligation ratio is actually higher today than it was when interest rates were double digits you know, 20 years ago. So it's not just nice to say, oh, well, interest rates are so low, it's manageable. You, you've got to pay the principal of that mountain of debt. Right,
0: at least in, individuals do. Governments can, especially the US government, can, Go, know, can government, roll over, refinance. Uh, you know. Right.
1: We have a situation in the United States where uh, corporate debt is 50% of GDP. Started the cycle at 30%, never been this high. And, and then, of course, uh, we also have uh, 50% of the investment grade universe now read a triple B, potentially on the precipice of being downgraded to junk.
0: If, if we go into recession, if those companies aren't in better shape than they were.
1: It, yeah. It, it's, it's just like uh, Deep Throat told uh, Woodward and Bernstein in the early 70s, follow. The money, so you have got to follow the bubble. Mm-hmm. We have an enormous bubble, debt uh, bubble, a debt bubble on corporate balance sheets in the United States. Now, uh,
0: no, let, let me just say one more thing, which you've heard before, but it was not an unintelligent move for corporations with interest rates this low to go out and issue these long-term bonds and at historically low interest rates. That was not necessarily such a dumb idea right? Wasn't that actually prudent in well, many cases? I'm not talking about governments. I'm talking now about corporations.
1: Well, you see, but the, but the story doesn't end So there. why does that have there's to an- end badly? There's <laughs> another, well, there's another chapter of the story. Well, I didn't say that it was necessarily going to end badly. I just said that uh, I, I don't believe that it's different this time. You'll mm-hmm. never, And I, I don't believe that the business cycle is dead. I know that there's probably other people that actually believe that. Right. So the indebtedness
0: uh, is going to come back and haunt them Well, it's sooner.
1: Always, we have it we have an incredible here's what I'm saying we have an incredible debt bubble that's why interest rates can't go up and um, but what I was saying before when you're talking about this wonderful longevity of a ten year cycle, it was perpetuated by a dramatic increase in debt. even so you asked me about what extended the cycle well, you know what if we you know I'm not going to say that the the Trump and the congressional tax plan had no impact on GDP. I just said it didn't have An enduring impact on GDP. But if we're going to go through recurring rounds of deficit financed tax cuts and spending, I mean, you'll give the allure of there being organic growth when it's all just being facilitated by incremental debt at a time when the debt ratio has never been as high as it is. So it's just an unstable equilibrium. I mean, we have not had a cycle of productivity. Here's the situation as I see it. And I could throw the question back to you. Yes, companies borrowed incredible amounts of money at low interest rates. What did they do with the money? Now, if you are going to say to me, oh, well, look at the data on capital spending, what an in- business investment cycle this mm. was, and I'd say, hey, you know what? Businesses borrowed the money, they invested in the real economy, they're going to earn a perpetual uh, after-tax rate of return on the money invested vis-a-vis the cost of capital, and by the way, the capital deepening is going to produce productivity growth, and that's critical for the income that the country needs to service the debt. Well, what a what a powerful story. You, you'd actually start calling me the permable. But this was the biggest debt for equity swap of all time. What do companies do with the money right. that they stock borrowed? Stock buybacks. Stock buybacks. And actually, and it's, actually per, well, it's, it's perfect, perfect symmetry. $4 trillion of quantitative easing, and what happened is the... Fed hoovered all those safe securities, mostly treasuries, open up a vacuum for the corporate sector. Don't need the banks. Well, the banks are capital constrained anyways, and regulated. Went to the public markets, and the public markets wanted, investors wanted this stretch for yield. Who cares about covenants? Who cares about the fault risk? Uh, I just want the yield in a yield-starved world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so corporations flooded it and then bought back their stock, which then gives this allure of this wonderful earnings cycle. But you see, it's earnings per share, because you're taking the share count down. Not dollar billions of earnings, earnings per share. Take the share count down because CEOs get paid for EPS, earnings per share. So you inflate, and you give this illusion of there being some sort of wonderful earnings recovery that's not really quite there. It's a share buyback story. So That's really what happened. We didn't have capital deepening. This went down as the weakest capital spending cycle of all time, in fact, the weakest economic growth cycle of all time, and you'll say, yeah, well, that actually will help extend because there was no big economic bubble, and I'm saying, yes, there was no economic bubble. What I'm saying is that there's a huge financial bubble. Uh, When you say to me, well, Mm -hmm. all that debt, they raised raised at lower interest rates. They still have to service that debt notwithstanding. The question is what happens when the recession comes, and this is what happens. This happens? this This is a game of cat and mouse, and here's what I want to say. I want to say that the bubble bursting does not cause the recession, okay? The recession causes the bubble to burst, okay? I went back at the very beginning of our interview to the late 80s. It was the recession that followed the Fed tightening cycle that caused the commercial construction and the SNLs to burst. Uh, not the other way around. It was the recession that caused the impairment of the dot-coms. And then in the last cycle, the recession actually started in December of 07. That's when the economic expansion officially ended. Well, if memory serves me correctly, Bear Stearns went down three months later. Right. If I'm not mistaken, Lehman and AIG and Merrill went down six months later. All this stuff happened because what does a recession do? A recession impairs cash flow. And then the impairment of the cash flow impairs the ability to service the debt. And that's when you get delinquencies, defaults, and downgrades.
0: Has the recession started yet, as far as you're concerned? Or uh, or when do you think it's going to start? Again, it's kind of been a delayed well, yeah. I would, where uh, you when you right. thought it would. Yeah,
1: I, I, I thought it would have started by now. And mm-hmm. I think that the consumer certainly hung in. Uh, more than i thought i think i just think that the lags are taking longer but you know consuela remember i was early on the last call the, you right. know it's funny i was viewed as being crazy early and and actually i also caught the dot coms i was crazy early both times but then as the storm hits people don't forget that you were early they just remembered that you were right right and I, and, and also
0: and, i know you, you you have been predicting kind of throughout this recovery a couple of times that there we'd have a double dip recession at one point right so there have been times when you've seen Uh, recession looming when it hasn't materialized? And what kind of what have you learned from those calls? And what's different now that you think, okay, this is for real. Now we're really, now it's really going to happen. And as I said earlier, I mean, how bad is the recession going to be?
1: From what you're describing, it sounds scary to me. The economy was on such shaky ground in 2010, 2011, 2012 that the Fed had to embark on massive rounds of quantitative easing. Right. Massive. And so uh, I think that what helped extend the cycle where these re- repeated periods where the Fed was injecting the system with liquidity. And it didn't create booming economic conditions, but it certainly helped prevent the double dip from happening. The is Fed, that possible Fed...
0: now? Is it, does the Fed have any power left to, or is it
1: have much less... Leverage now. I think, like I said, this is the one area where I think Donald Trump was right. I think the Fed over tightened. Yep. Now don't forget, in those periods in 2010, 2011, 2012, I was looking at a very fragile economy, and the economy was very fragile, and uh, the Fed became very aggressive. You know, Ben Bernanke, he, you know, he didn't, he didn't raise rates right after his last rate, his last rate hike. I think was the summer 2006. How bad, you know, compare what you're
0: expecting to other periods in history are there
1: well you know it's a uh, one thing I'll say is that it's not going to be as certainly as bad as the last recession okay Okay, uh, well people get relief (laughs) out of that but people don't know that um, and I think this is right that the 1973 to 75 recession was actually worse post revisions than the last one which we call the Great Recession because I guess the Great Recession you know involved a financial collapse 7374 was horrib- a horrible period. Yeah. And we had the the economy. the double dip recessions of 80 to 82. Mm-hmm. I, I think that um I think the problem is going to be less about the magnitude of the decline in the economy. Mm-hmm. More about how do we get out of it? How do we get out of the next recession?
0: And uh, yeah. well that's well the thing is that it's, Answer. well
1: uh I think ultimately I think the Fed I think we're going to go back down to zero on the the Fed funds rate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think the Fed could be on pause for now, but I don't think they'll be on pause indefinitely. The yield curve will steepen, but it will melt. Uh, Rates are going to go down a lot more. Mm-hmm. They they're going to and steepen
0: means that, that the long term rates will the difference between short and long term rates will be steeper. Well, what it
1: means is that as they go down to zero, the ten the year note rate. might go down to one percent. Mm-hmm. So the yield curve will steepen, but in a in a bond bull market. Mm-hmm. But bringing down interest rates uh, will help out the housing market, help out interest sensitive spending at the margin. Uh, steeper yield curve will help out uh, the financials. There'll be a lot of benefits from that. The Fed's not ready to do it yet because the Fed historically, as it is today, a very incremental institution. They are responsive. They're not proactive. Right. And I think that they will do more quantitative easing, which they're doing uh, through the back door right now in the Treasury bill market. Uh, they'll do a lot more quantitative easing. But I think ultimately what we have to do is understand what has been the largest constraint on economic growth globally and in the United States. It's not about aging demographics, which really has its impact glacially. And uh, it's not about the rapid ascension and advance of technology and the technological change that creates uncertainty. It's really about the mountain of debt. The mountain of debt is a massive constraint on aggregate demand growth globally. Okay, and I, I come back to what you said before about well, ten years of recovery and things don't seem. Why is it that the Fed got stopped out at two and a half percent? That hasn't happened since nineteen thirties. Well, why could the Fed? The Fed always told us we want to normalize interest rates. Well, if you asked a rational person, did the Fed actually normalize interest rates this cycle? Nobody Well, because how do you normalize interest rates mm-hmm. in an abnormal environment? So interest rates in the world's I mean, people call the United States the cleanest shirt in the laundry basket. Here's the cleanest shirt in the laundry basket. Here's the only central bank that had the temerity to actually try and normalize interest rates mm-hmm. and they couldn't even do it. Where where do you think they, interest rates should be? Well, you know what I'm saying is that a few years ago, you asked some of the brightest lights in the business; they would tell you a normal rate would be at least three percent, right. or maybe four. There wasn't now we're talking a... much lower levels. We're talking much lower levels for, and, that, and that's that's a whole dissertation on on why that's the case. Okay. The point I'm making is that the Fed. So I'm trying to say we, we this is this is I call this the Potemkin economic expansion. Potemkin, Grigor Potemkin Mm -hmm. was the general that built fake cities. Yes. We built this on a mountain of debt. Okay, this is a house of straw and I know that people actually, you know, they don't see it or they don't want to see it, but that was what perpetuated is that more debt, more QE, more debt and more life support for this expansion, okay? And then Jay Powell comes in and says, well, actually, I'm going to Like, I didn't hear, actually, Ben Bernanke ever say, Ben Bernanke, when he dared to say, I think back in 2013, that he was going to start to pull the plug away, the markets went like ape. Yes. And then, okay, Janet Yellen was sort of like, you know, a placeholder, I guess, in between. Uh, And the first thing that Jay Powell talked about actually at his confirmation hearing in January of 2018 was he says, we have to normalize interest rates. Now, I think in his mind, he was thinking, we're we going to go 3 plus on the funds rate. Well, what's interesting is that they couldn't even get it above 2.5%. Mm-hmm. People have to ask themselves the question, how is it, if it's such a wonderful economy, a reflationary economy, a 10-year economic expansion with unemployment at 3.5%, that the peak in the funds rate was 25 Seriously, what is that telling you? What is it uh, telling you? That things are fundamentally weak, that, okay. that we can't raise the rates because we can't service it otherwise. And it's, well, okay, why, why how, come, how come the ECB never raised rates? They never tightened policy. Mario Draghi's last act was to do more QE. Why did Mark Carney at the Bank of England, they went to 0.5.
0: So they saw the weakness and admitted it and went there, right? (laughs) Look, uh, I would
1: say that the, the, I said before that the stock market relationship with the economy is all but broken down. Okay. But not true, but not true, not true with interest rates. Okay, interest rates are telling you, interest rates, what is more powerful? I mean, Albert Einstein actually famously said that the power of compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Mm -hmm. Interest rates are telling you something about the economy, okay? Then here's what it's telling you about the economy. It might not be telling you about a recession, but it's telling you that that the underpinnings for this economic backdrop are very poor. poor. And, and stock
0: market. Let, let's just switch to okay. the stock market. The stock market has been you know, doing well. You mentioned earlier that it's a it's a very narrow cohort that's been doing extremely well. Uh, the, we, are, we are still in a you know, bull market of sorts uh, as far as the major indexes are concerned, the Dow and the S&P. What's your read on the stock market and how vulnerable the stock market is?
1: I have to say that, um, you know, it's just a good thing that I was uh, bullish on treasuries, so that at least there was an asset class where I helped people make money. And they have done incredibly Uh, well. But but that's no excuse for the fact that I've missed the stock market rally. It's caught me by surprise. Mm -hmm. For,
0: For years, you have been advising your clients to invest in the kind of the dividend aristocrats. That's actually been a very good recommendation, right? right? If if you're looking at a total return basis, compounding, that was a good place to be. Well, I like bonds.
1: I like bonds. And I said Mm -hmm. to people that if you want to have toes in the equity risk pool, then uh, own the bonds and drag, is what I call them. Mm -hmm. So uh, whether it was utilities, (laughs) whether it was the REITs, uh, or the staples, or, or even healthcare. I mean, there was a 100% right. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been actually beating myself up somewhat for the missed uh, overall equity market call, but uh, the dividend story has been uh, an alluring and enduring one That's for me. One. But mm-hmm. but the the point is that I I, I didn't think that the uh, we'd be seeing 3100 on the S and P or 28,000 on the Dow. So you know when you when you miss a call, you have to be responsible and um, and think about you know what's going on and try and explain it. Well, and, and also and, kind of what, but, what but, now? But I I'm think saying, is what well, I, I don't about. have, but here's the reality. I don't really have an explanation. Mm-hmm. I don't know where are these flows coming from. We have this unusual, bizarre situation. It's like cognitive dissonance where companies are buying back their stock, but the insiders are selling the stock. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a month ago in the Bank of America, Merrill Lynch survey, my alma mater, cash holdings among global portfolio managers who are at their highest level uh, since 09 and then within a month all yes. that cash has gone into the market and the growth expectations have swung higher to an extent we have not seen apparently since 1994 and i'm there thinking like what happened in the past month what that there is enthusiasm over phase 1 which even if we get phase 1 it's just all the easy stuff which they still can't seem to get done and i couldn't understand how do you uh, connect the dots from a deal that really just involves Chinese buying of soybeans from Midwest farmers to a three point multiple expansion of the SP 500? I don't know. I can't really explain it. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you right now if I can't explain something to investors, I will tell them. And, and personally, I've been on the sidelines. When I can't explain something, when it doesn't make sense to me, I'll tell you what I do. Mm-hmm. I avoid it. Mm-hmm. And so I can understand things that I've missed in the past and I will. Do my uh, retribution, and I will do my analysis, and I'll figure out I'm not going to make that mistake again. But this just looks this just looks like a little too much like Grigor Potemkin to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm on the sidelines right now.
0: So uh, let's talk about some of the sectors that perform well, have performed well historically in recessions, and that's you know something that you've been talking to clients about. And certainly U.S. Treasuries perform well. Yeah. and investment-grade bonds, would you still go there? I mean, is that still a place that's going to give you protection and give you actually positive returns in a recession?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because last year at this time, you know, when, say, the long bond was around 3.5%, uh, all I heard from people was uh, what what idiot would buy a long bond and lock it right. in at 3.5%. Uh, Well, you know, uh, nobody's, unless you're an insurance company or you have to basically do asset liability matching, nobody's really buying these for 30 years, any more than the average duration of uh, the S&P 500 is 50 years, okay? Uh, I don't see people buying stocks and holding them on to 50 years. So, but it's funny because I find that the equity market people, they don't know bond market math, but the bond market people, they know equity market math. So here's the reality, the, the moron that bought the long bond at 3.5% a year ago is the same moron that generated a 31% total return. And right. uh, Because of the power of convexity, uh, the relationship between prices and yields, especially at these low levels of interest rates, is very powerful. So uh, actually, uh, despite all the euphoria over the stock market, the reality is that the best performing asset in the past year has been uh, the 30-year treasury. I'm not going to say here that we're going to get another 31% return going forward, but I do think that there's two things the treasury market, maybe three things it'll give you. It'll give you liquidity in the portfolio. It will give you some uh, recurring income, might not be a big income, but... It'll be a uh, source of uh, support for the portfolio. Mm-hmm. And especially if things go wrong, it's a great insurance policy. I look, at if I'm right that, the economy is going to weaken further. That as a result, inflationary pressures are going to continue to uh, subside. Then yields are going to go down. The question is by how much? So I think that the total return in uh, the treasury market, especially the long end, is going to be is going to be is going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. If you're going to ask me, would I even at these you know you'd say even at these low level of yields now that the the, the long bond's down to say two and a quarter, why would you want to do that? Well, because I think the long bond is going to go probably down to one and a half percent. So you will basically get a very decent total return out of that. But nobody seems to say, boy, would you want to buy equities with a seventeen and a half forward multiple? Um, right. and uh, and so you know you could argue that everything is expensive, everything is expensive. Uh, maybe volatility isn't expensive. that's pretty cheap and another way to protect your portfolio. But I would say that uh, my belief is that as low as yields are, we haven't hit bottom yet. I mean mm-hmm. right now we are at the peak of the cycle, the lows in unemployment peak of the stock market. and uh, the long bond yield is two and a quarter, the 10 year is uh, 180. And, and if it's where, a recession,
0: they're gonna go well, lower.
1: Well, and take a look where they are around the world. If anything, the US is the when I said the cleanest cleanest uh, shirt in the laundry basket when it comes to interest rate, relative interest rates, uh, you know we're the, the U.S. Treasury. We're, we're, the, we're, the, we're the smartest kid in summer school.
0: Right. I mentioned earlier the dividend aristocrats, the kind of high quality companies with a history of paying dividends, that is another asset class that has performed relatively well in recessions. Is that yeah. correct? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Dividends. So, so if,
0: if you want to be in equities, that is a one place to be.
1: I would say that you want to screen for a few things. You want to screen for you. You want to screen for companies with low payout ratios that have a that have a history of paying their dividends. Companies that have never cut their dividends even in tough times. Uh, that have a yield better than what you get in the treasury market. Okay. Well, these days that's not that difficult, but also in non-cyclical areas of the marketplace, areas that have low correlations with GDP, mm-hmm. and yeah, you can actually construct an equity portfolio even in a recession, and um, and do just fine. But Gold. it's but it's very but it's, it's very select, But it's very selective, very selective. and you want to call the portfolio. You really want to get down to best ideas, uh, a small group of stocks. This is not really a time for being diversified. You really want to focus on high quality. Uh, strong balance sheets, dividend characteristics, non-cyclical. And there's a non-cyclical look. There was uh, there's one bellwether, one bellwether company in the S and P, whose sales actually went up in 08 and 09 and whose stock made you money. You know who it was? Mm. Walmart. Walmart. <laughs> and that still might well be the case. It's mm-hmm. all it's all part of the. In a, in a, in a recession, you want to focus on frugality. And you want to focus on what consumers do. And spending doesn't go to zero. It never goes to zero. But people trade down. And the trade down market tends to grab market share. And they do okay.
0: That leads me actually to the final question that we always ask everyone uh, in an interview on WealthTrack. And that's if you had one investment that you would have us make in a long-term diversified portfolio, especially given that you think we're going to go into a recession, what would it be?
1: Well, I would say to um, to stick with what works, and I would still say that that even with these low yields, uh, I would I would be concentrating my attention on uh, the long bond, thirty would, year, the thirty thir- year, bond. the thirty year because the thirty year Treasury bond. Well, I- I- if I'm if I'm right, it's it's always the assumption. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm right on my macro call, you will make a significant total return. And just think about what happened in this past year. Think of the total return in the long Treasury over thirty percent and the recession hasn't even started yet. And there's never been a cycle where bond yields go up or the the total return goes down in a recession. Um, It's going to be positive, in my opinion. The question is, um, how positive will the returns be in the bond market? At these levels of multiples in the stock market writ large for the major averages, and looking at where I see earnings coming in, Uh, I think when you're taking a look at risk return and looking at probabilities, because in this business, look, there's no such thing as a sure thing. Mm -hmm. But I would say that looking at the relative probabilities and, of course, the asset classes, how they perform in an economic downturn, bonds are going to outperform stocks.
0: I want to thank David Rosenberg for being our guest for this two-part WealthTrack podcast. If you missed the first installment, you can find it on WealthTrack.com. You can also hear him discuss why he decided to go out on his own, chasing his dream his vision for his new firm. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.